this Advent season, we have been looking at the miracles surrounding that very first Christmas. So a few weeks ago, we looked at the miracle that Mary experienced, the Virgin Mary, and how she was visited by the angel Gabriel who told her that she was going to bear a child that was going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we, we looked at the story of Joseph, who Mary was, was engaged to, and how he was going to quietly divorce her after hearing this astounding news about her being pregnant. But instead, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and, and said, don't divorce her. Instead, take her as your wife and, and be the earthly father for this son who's going to be called Jesus. And this morning, as we continue in this series, we're going to be looking at uh, another couple Another couple who experiences many, many miraculous things, a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this morning, we're going to be diving pretty deep into the scripture passages. So I know you're at home this morning. So if you, you could go find a Bible, grab one, pull it up on your phone. We're going to be in Luke chapter one together. I'd love for you to do that. And as you're doing that, I want to kind of just point out something interesting you're going to find as we go throughout these stories and really, if you look throughout most of the Bible, you'll find that the Bible rarely uses the word miracle to describe what we're calling miraculous events. Instead, the Bible actually uses a different word. Instead, when we're talking about these supernatural occurrences, the word the Bible typically uses is the word signs. Now, the scripture writers call these things signs. And so this season, I've been, you know, reading through these gospel stories of Jesus' birth with kind of fresh eyes looking for all these different signs surrounding the first Christmas. And, and as I've been going about in my limited ways this season uh, around town, I've, I've been noticing the signs around me as well. And I don't know about you, if you've been out and about much, but, but the signs this year that we're seeing are kind of different than signs we used to see in the past. I mean, you know what? You, you can see signs like this one everywhere, right? It's like, vote here, drop box here, early voting now, right? This person's terrible, this person's great, you know, this person's going to do this, right? There are signs everywhere regarding the election. And then there's this sign, which I saw the other day over by the Starbucks by the church for the pop-up COVID testing tent there. And you see... Signs like this and about hand sanitizer and all that kind of stuff all around these days. And if you've been out shopping, you know what, if you haven't just done the Amazon thing, but you've been to Tanger or other places, you, you know that these signs are super common because the stores are trying to do whatever they can to get people in so that they can survive. And, and the thing with all these signs like these and, and many others is that they can be helpful they can point us in the right direction. They can kind of tell us what, where to go or what's up ahead. But, but, but the thing with these signs is a lot of times we, we don't really notice them or we don't focus on them. And that's because the signs aren't really the point. The signs are pointing to something else. The signs, the purpose of them is to draw our attention to something beyond themselves, something significant taking place like an election or, or like a business or like discounts going on, right? The signs aren't the point. They point beyond themselves. And really, this is the purpose of signs throughout Scripture as well. 
Uh, although we're, we're focusing on the miracles, the signs this very first, first Christmas, the, the signs aren't the point. One professor of theology says it like this, that the, the signs are like warning flags letting us know that God is up to something significant in the world. And so this morning, as we're reading Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, you are, are going to encounter uh, a lot of signs. And, and I want you to try to kind of keep track in your head of the, of the different miraculous things, the different signs that are taking place. And I want us to kind of think about them and get them in our minds so that we together can, can figure out exactly what these signs are pointing to, what significant thing God is doing here in this passage just before the birth of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, once again, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be beginning in verse 5 here. And we read this there. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So I just want to, want to pause here, give you a little context. You know, as a priest, it says that Zechariah was part of a, a division. And this division would have served about two weeks every year in the temple doing various duties. But, but there were some duties that were more holy, more rare uh, didn't come around as often as others, and that's what we find him doing here. And that's going to one of the holiest places in the temple, burning incense there, and then offering a blessing to the people outside. This is something that would have happened just once, twice, or a handful of times in any priest's lifetime. And this is, is where we find Zechariah. And in verse 11, Luke continues telling us what happened inside this holy place. He says, as Zechariah was in there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And after the angel says all of this to Zechariah, he, he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my, my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so as you're going through there, I don't know if you're kind of keeping track of the different signs, these miraculous things that were taking place. I mean, my count, there's about four of them so far. First, an angel appears to Zechariah. And like we said before, it's not like angels are super common in the Bible. This is a very rare occurrence. So an angel comes to him and he has the response many people do. He's afraid. And then the angel gives him a a prophetic word and, and, and says, hey, in the future, your wife, Elizabeth, who is well beyond childbearing age, she is going to conceive a son. And then the third sign we kind of see is that, that after he asked Gabriel for a sign, right? He says, well, how, how's this going uh, to happen? I mean, how can I be sure? And then he's, he's struck silent and the angel's like, hey, you know what? You can be sure that way. And so we see that's the third sign. And then the, the fourth sign is that, that actually his wife Elizabeth ends up conceiving and giving birth to this son. The prophecy is fulfilled. And I love the way she responds. She says, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. And right after this in Scripture, we find the Annunciation where, where Mary, who is a relative of Elizabeth, she has a similar encounter with an angel who says, look, you're going to bear a child. And then she goes and visits uh, Elizabeth and these two women have a beautiful time together. And then after that, Luke tells us what happens after uh, John was born. In verse 57, we read this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they, they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John. And they said to her, no one in your family has that name. No one among your relatives is called that. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John, and immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God, and all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And so to the signs that, that we kind of saw earlier, we, we can add some, some here from the rest of the story. One sign is, is the naming of John. I mean, this seems to be kind of a miraculous event that Elizabeth has been thinking about this. And she says, I'm going to call him John. And people are confused because traditionally in that culture, 
they would have just called him Zechariah. But then Zechariah, as all of this is going on, they, they give him a tablet. It's almost like he and Elizabeth haven't communicated. He writes down the child's name is to be John. And so there's this confluence with the naming of their son, John. And then you also have how after not being able to speak for nine months, Zechariah's tongue is freed and he's able to praise God again. And as all of these signs and wonders and miracles are taking place, I mean, the people in the community are, are astounded, just like you and I would be. They're astounded. They're filled with wonder. They're filled with awe. I mean, they're thinking, okay, we heard they saw an angel and he could speak and then he couldn't speak and then he could speak again. And Elizabeth, you know what? She's way too old to be having a child. And yet now she's given birth to the son and they, they wanted to call him John. They're thinking about all of these things and they're asking themselves this question, what are all of these signs pointing to? What is the significance of all of these events? And this is a good question because like we talked about earlier, the, these signs are pointing to something beyond themselves. They, they saw that the signs weren't the point. They knew there was something more significant more profound, more special and unique that God was doing in this moment. And ultimately what we see all of these signs pointing to is the reality that God was keeping his promises to his people. And God was sending them a savior. God was keeping his promises to his people and God was sending them a savior. And as Zechariah's mouth is opened, he begins to proclaim these truths with a, with a beautiful song of Christmas. He, he begins to shout, verse 68, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation comes from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The last prophet that, that really these people had known was, was the prophet Malachi. And Malachi... God speaking through him promised this. Many, many years before Zechariah praises God for all of these things, the prophet Malachi says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And this messenger who, who God promised through the prophet long ago, we find here is, is Zechariah's son, John. And there was another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. He wrote about one who is coming who will make straight in the desert a highway for God. And this one who is going to make 
these roads straight to prepare the way for the Lord is John. And we also find in the Old Testament prophets, prophecies about one who is coming who, who would be greater than John. One who is coming who is going to save God's people, who is going to rescue them, who is going to provide forgiveness and salvation and grace to all of God's people. And you and I know that the fulfillment of that prophecy is the coming of John's relative soon after him, Mary's son, Jesus. The one who Israel had been longing for, hoping for, waiting for, for so long that they held fast to God's promises and these prophecies. And what we see here in the midst of all of these miraculous signs, they're all pointing to the truth that God was keeping his promises to his people. And he was sending them in the fullness of time the Savior that they and really the entire world was in need of. And what I want you to see this morning is that these signs that are pointing to this reality isn't, isn't just something that was true and good news for them back then. It's also true for us today. Because the reality for us that we're remembering this Christmas as we revisit this ancient story is that, is that just as God was keeping his promises back then, God is keeping his promises to us today. And just as God was sending a savior into the world back then, one of the things we remember at Advent as we remember these stories, as we retell these stories, is that God even now is sending his son, our savior, into our very lives as well. And I don't know about you, but, but for me in this season, this brings me comfort. And it brings me hope to think about our, our God as a God who keeps his word and keeps his promises because we're living in a time of unprecedented change right now. Things are changing all around us. It seems like weekly here at the church and in our lives and in our society, all this stuff is happening. I mean, for you, you know, right? Stuff changes with our worship schedule. In your kid's school, things change, and Henry County just changed the calendar. Things are changing with your jobs, and your on-site, and your off-site, and you have a job, and you don't have a job. Things are changing in our culture. Things are changing in our relationships, and our health status, and this isn't easy to navigate for us because, because we like a sense of control, a sense of of normalcy, and a lot of times what it feels like in this season is that, that we're walking on, on shifting ground, and that we're, it can feel like we're, we're in sinking sand, but, but one of the things that brings us comfort and hope during these days is that our God is a God who keeps his promises, and, and that the, the words and the sentiment of that old song are true, on Christ the solid rock we stand, for all other ground is sinking sand. Because the reality is, you know what, things are going to continue to change. Even once this pandemic is over, our lives are going to continue to be upended. And there are so few things we can count on in our world. But one thing that we can count on, one thing we can know is true, that our God's promises will never, ever fail. He is faithful to his word.
when we look throughout Scripture, we, we, we see what some of those promises are, the promise of his presence. Last week, the angel we looked at told Joseph, the son is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We have the promise in the book of Acts of, of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church and upon believers and the Holy Spirit promises God's loving guidance in our lives. We have the promise of God's unending love. We have the promise of forgiveness through the sacrifice of, of the Savior that God sent into the world 2,000 years ago who sacrificed his life on our behalf, taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself so that we could have forgiveness. And God promises that we can be forgiven for anything if we confess our sins to him. God promises that we can live with him for eternity through faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. God's promises are true. And there are things that we can hold on to. There are things that we can cling to during this time. And I love it. Paul writes in one of his letters to the Corinthians that, that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. He says all of God's promises are yes and amen. That means they, they are firm. They are secure. They are unfailing. They, they really have their fulfillment in God's one and only Son, our Savior, who He sent into the world 2,000 years ago, but, but also who He's sending into our lives this very day. Because you see, at Advent, we not just remember Jesus' arrival in the past. We don't just anticipate His future arrival at His second coming. We also remember that, that, that God is sending Him into our lives even now. God is sending His Savior to each of us. And one of my favorite Christian paintings is a, is a painting that, that depicts this truth. It's an old painting by the artist Warner Salmon. And you can see it here. And it's, it's based on Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where we read this, where Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I love this image because Jesus, I mean, he looks so gentle, doesn't he? He looks so kind, so, so grace-filled. He looks like he's going to bring warmth into this place he's about to enter into. And I've always loved this image as an image of, of Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts really the hearts of the entire world as God is sending him into us to, to, to save us and to have his presence with us. And so I've often thought about, okay, Jesus is knocking here on the door of our hearts. That's how I've often pictured in my mind. But, but now during this season, especially where we're going to be spending Christmas Eve, not gathered in our church building together, but instead gathered in our homes, I've been kind of rethinking this image this season. And I've been thinking about how here Jesus, he's, he's knocking on the door, not, not of a heart here, he's knocking on the door of a home. And I've been thinking about how, what it would mean for us this Christmas season and really this upcoming Christmas day if, 
if we were to invite Jesus in to our celebrations? Because he, he's standing there knocking. I wonder what it would mean if we invited Jesus into our, our dysfunctional family dynamics because he, he wants to be there. I wonder what it would mean if, if we let Jesus into the, the gift buying and the gift wrapping and, and the stress that comes with all of the, the stuff at Christmas. I've been thinking about how it might change our celebrations, change the, the literal dynamics inside of our homes if we were to respond to his knocking and welcome him in. And this picture, I mean, it reminds us that Jesus isn't going to force his way inside. Uh, we have the choice whether we're going to say, Jesus, you're, you're welcome here, or whether we're going to keep him at an arm's length. And, and so this, this Christmas season, as we're, we're approaching really just the final stretch here, we have just a few more days. I wonder if you would, you would take, that, take that image with you this week. And if you would think about how, how Jesus is knocking on, on your heart, He's knocking on the door of your home and he wants to be invited into these celebrations which are really ultimately about him. And my hope and my prayer for you is that, that you will respond to God sending him into our, our lives, into our homes, into our community once again. Because when we welcome Jesus, what we'll find is true peace, true hope, true joy, true love, we'll truly find everything we've been wanting as we receive God's promises and as we receive God's presence. So would you bow your heads with a word of prayer for me? And if you're at home right now, I want you to, to, to picture Jesus knocking there on your front door and if if you're not at home or you just want to think about him knocking on the door of your heart I want you to imagine that as well and think about those things as we pray because God we we remember in these moments that that, that your promises aren't aren't good news just for the people 2000 years ago your your promises are good news for us today, that, that you are one who is true to your word. You are one who is faithful. You are one who can be counted on no matter what is going on around us. And God, today, as, as you're sending your Savior into our lives, into our homes, into our communities, as, he, as he's standing there knocking, God, we pray that you would give us the, the courage, give us the wisdom Give us the boldness to just welcome him in and say, look, we know our celebrations might be different if you're here, but, but this is really what it's all about. And God, as we welcome your son's presence into our lives and into our celebrations this week, God, as we remember your promises today, we, we pray that you would fill us. Fill us with hope, with joy, with peace, with love. Fill us 
with you. In Jesus' name, amen.